Welcome to Bossy, Brilliant, and Badass, a weekly conversation about business, careers, and personal development designed to inspire, educate, and motivate you, and sometimes ourselves, to show up powerfully, live fearlessly, and to find and unleash your inner badass. I'm Lisa Lindsay. I'm Liz Green. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Bossy, Brilliant, and Badass. I'm Lisa Lindsay here with my authentic co-host, Liz Green. Hey, Liz. Hey, Lisa. So, okay. So I've got a question this week and I think it ties in because we just finished recording um, the episode that we did. And, you know, one of the big themes was be yourself. And it got me thinking um, about something that I've been thinking about a lot, which is, which is this idea of authenticity. And we tend to talk about it a lot on this show, um, this idea of being yourself um, and, and, and how authenticity is really important to, to personal growth. So I'm curious when you think about authenticity, what does it mean to you and why do you think it's important? Mm, excellent question. Um, so authenticity is really important to me because I look at authenticity as just the, the uniqueness of a person, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, for example, if I feel like I am kind of acting within my authenticity, what that looks like for me is I'm just being very spontaneous, very grounded, very real, very, you know, kind of who I am. And that's, um, that to me is super important, especially when I'm dealing with other business owners, you know, I like for people also to be authentic themselves, because what that says to me is, um, we're probably going to have a more honest business relationship mm-hmm. and um, and that type of honesty and authenticity is something that I just really think is super duper important really in all aspects of my life. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah. So, um, so obviously I think it's really important, um, just on, if we take it from a very simple place when, you know, you hear a message over and over again, um, there's some truth to it. So we could just go there and not go any deeper than that. Right. And say, look, when, when you're hearing people say be authentic, there is something to that, right. There's a reason why they're saying that. Um, I think as I was thinking about this, question of this idea of authenticity over the the last couple of weeks, I was thinking about it more from the perspective of, you know, we talk about it, but it always feels incomplete to me. Like we talk about it, but it, it never feels like we're talking about it in a very complete way. And that when we say authenticity, it kind of misses the mark a little bit. So in fact, I, I kind of think our definition uh, might be a little bit warped, a little bit. And what I mean by that is that at its core, authenticity is about being yourself, being true to yourself. But what if that self is an absolute asshole, right? Um, what if that self is not a nice person in some way or unkind, right? I think that that, I, I don't know that I want to be, I want to know that you're an absolute asshole because then I know not to deal with you. But (laughs) right. But, you know, there's but there's also two. If you look at it through the IFS lens, which is obviously what I coach on, it's the true self is always there. Mm -hmm. What gets what clouds that. So if you say this guy's true self is an asshole, 
that's actually inaccurate because everybody's true self from birth is authentic, it's compassionate, it's connected, there's clarity, there's courage. But what clouds that is is our kind of insecurities and our parts and our critics and carrying burdens from our past and our traumas and everything else. And that clouds the actual true self. So if you really, if a person is truly being authentic, they are really in touch with that self energy that they have in absence or having at least the part, these critical, judgmental, uh, abusing parts kind of like relaxed back. Because I don't think that an abuser, an asshole, what have you, I don't think that that is truly their authentic self. Right. And that's, and that's kind of as so, so that's kind of getting to my point a little bit better. So I'm glad you kind of gave that, that explanation where it's sort of, um, you know, I was taking it down the road and I didn't study IFS. So that, that hopefully people learned something. Cause I did a little bit about how you're thinking about it, but I think kind of stepping back from that kind of that, that, that kind of philosophy, that science, I'm not really sure what to call that methodology that you've, you've, I think it's really, to me, it's about, it was a little bit about acting with integrity as well. Right. So you're kind of, we're kind of overlapping in the sense that what I mean is recognizing that part of yourself that may be kind of a and not behaving in that way. Right. Um, so, so you're right. I think at the end of the day, true authenticity is really about the true self, which is not clouded by the stuff. Right. Right. (laughs) And I think it just, I've been just kind of thinking about it in a philosophical way lately, because I think we talk about it so much, but then you would hear somebody go, well, I'm just being myself. And I'm like, well, yourself is an absolute asshole right now. Like, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because that's that's a bit of a cop out too, right? Well, I'm just being myself here. Yeah. And it, or, is that really you being yourself or are you kind of blended with a critic or an Correct. ego or something like that? Yeah. Correct. And, I mean, what you're saying is so true. And so, you know, um, we have a, a conversation with Elaine Bennett. And it's a fantastic conversation because she does talk about being your true, authentic self on stage, in your speech writing or what have you. And truth be told, when you do step on stage, if you are kind of clouded by insecurities or ego or what have you, people can pick up on that. It's They're like, that person is not being authentic. Right. They can, they, it's going to come across. Right. Right. They're not being the real true self. And so if you're real true self, you're going to be, you're going to sit there, you're going to be in the moment, you're going to be honest. Um, you're going to probably tell some personal stories where people can connect and that type of thing. So, I mean, that's a, an excellent question, by the way, very, very um, good question. And and it's fun because I don't usually know what these questions are. So I'm always like, what yeah, I don't know. I question? don't know what your questions are either. It's just- I know, I know. That's why I was looking forward to like, Given you, she doesn't even know what this question is going to be. Let's see how quick, how quick she can think on her feet. But yeah, but absolutely. And so that's why I just really uh, love this conversation with Elaine because she yeah. just tells it how it is, you know, and that people do want to see, they do want to see and hear that uh, your authentic self on some level. 
A hundred percent. A hundred percent. All right. So, so then I guess let's get into our episode with Elaine. Yeah. Her name is Elaine Bennett and she is a strategic messaging consultant advising clients from fortune 50 CEOs to entrepreneurs on their messaging. She also creates and delivers trainings on how to improve the writing of everything from internal communications to speeches. And her 2019 TEDx talk tackles the topic of how language can change the world. If you don't want to listen now, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's bring her on. Welcome, Elaine. We're so excited about having you on the show today. And through, I was reading your bio and oh my gosh, what an interesting backstory. We don't usually get into backstories too much with our guests, but I felt like I have to, the audience has to hear this backstory because it is super cool. So why don't you go ahead and just a couple of paragraphs, tell us like, how did you end up here? Ah. Um, I'm not sure whether this is bossy, brilliant or Badass, so your audience <laughs> can decide. All it all three. is. It all is. Probably all three. <laughs> I'm thinking. Um, I was a speechwriter for the head of the CEO of Solomon Brothers, and back in the '90s when I was there, they had some uh, financial shenanigans that caught the attention of the SEC, and the SEC said, "You know what? We think we're going to put you out of business." And our largest shareholder said, well, wait a minute, what if I, what if I go in and become the interim CEO? Uh, will that work? And because his name was Warren Buffett, uh, the SEC said, yeah, that'll work. And <laughs> that so works. I was, there, I was the CEO speechwriter and all of a sudden the CEO was Warren Buffett. Uh, and, and, you know, that's not the kind of thing that happens every day. Yeah. So um, we quickly developed a really good working relationship, appreciated how well I captured his voice before I had even talked to him. And, uh, and that, and he said some lovely things about me that he said I could use to uh, tell people about myself. He said, you have a terrific ear and you turn straight thinking into straight writing. Now, I'm not sure which ear he was talking about. (laughs) But um, for those of you listening, Elaine showed us her ears. (laughs) I'm partial to the right one, but you know, um, so, so that's, that's my backstory. Is that what you were talking about, Liz? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think um, so. So I think as a kind of a question to kind of get us to the next, to get us into our topic for the today, like what are some of the common things that you see around people, given that you're a speechwriter, when people are speaking and talking, what are some of the common mistakes that you see people making um, as they try to, I don't know, put together a speech, a talk, a webinar, whatever it may be? Right. Um, one of the things that really fries me uh, when I'm sitting in an audience and listening to somebody else give a speech that I didn't have anything to do with is when they start out by thanking the organizers. 
And, you know, it's never just thanks to the organizers. It's thanks to Billy and Betsy and Bobby. You know, it's like well, and a really old, there was a really old children's show called Romper Room. And the teacher on the show, Miss whoever she was, used to look through a magic mirror and say hello <laughs> to all of the children who were watching. She never said hello to Elaine, which scarred me for life. But that's what speakers do, right? They thank everybody. And, and you as an audience, I mean, I'm sure you've been in, in the audience when that's happened. You just zone out, right? It's the perfect time to check your phone. It's the, you know, and the problem is that once you lose the audience as a speaker, it takes a whole lot to get them back. So what you need to do is you need to start out strong. And of course, you're going to want to thank people, but work it into the speech in a way that adds value, right? I want to thank Susie for her her foresight in creating this conference and bringing us all together so I can tell you this, you know, important message, right? Um, and uh, and so that's the that's the biggest mistake. And you know, I mean, think about it for yourself when you've been in the audience for a speech. What turns you off? When are the times that you start start your mind starts wandering? You start thinking about your grocery shopping, whatever. Those are the things you don't want to do. Um, the novelist Elmore Leonard had a very famous, wonderful article in the New York Times years ago about the 10 things that uh, that writers should know. And one of his tips was try to try to skip the boring parts. <laughs> I think that is advice for a right. life and conversation. So, so what are the boring points and parts typically? Right. So when you're when you're speaking. For instance, I was at a conference and the conference had corporate sponsors, right? And so all of the corporate sponsors got their couple of minutes to, you know, get their get their word out there. And there were three or four corporate sponsors. And the first one got up and said, hi, I'm really glad to be here on behalf of my company. This issue is really important to us. And the second one got up and said, you know, this issue is really important to my company. So I'm really glad to. And the third one. And finally, the fourth guy was like, you know, this issue is important to me on a personal level. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm really proud to work for a company that it's important to. And I'm really proud that we sponsored this conference. Well, that guy woke me up. Right. And, and I won, you know, I felt really bad for the first three people who's, you know, whether if they had a speechwriter going into it, that the speechwriter didn't realize what the context of the event was going to be, so that they wouldn't line them up with just saying the same thing everybody else is saying. And and if they were just speaking off the top of their heads, why didn't they listen to the first guy and the second guy um, and and know that you got to say something different? Well, yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, when we do, at least for me, I perk up when it is personal, there's a maybe a personal story there, some kind of connection to, I don't know, feelings on some level, maybe some vulnerability, I don't or what have you. Yeah, yeah. I learned that lesson as a young speechwriter. I wrote written a, a, a speech for a CEO to deliver at his annual meeting. And, um, and he was going to be leaving at the end of the, 
fiscal year. And so he had a had a part where he wanted to talk about his time at the company and and his his uh, his farewell. But he didn't want to do that at the beginning of the speech. And so I'm sitting at the back of the room. And they've given the copies of the written speech to the board members, right? So the board members are all sitting there and they're reading along and they're turning the pages. And then he gets to, um, for, on a personal note, and everybody's head yeah. snapped up. Personal note. Oh, okay. I'm going to listen to this. Even though it was right there in front of them, what he was saying, they, mm-hmm. they needed to connect with him visually. Uh, so that's a really important thing to realize is that people, you know, they can learn what the, you know, Harvard Business Review says about this or what the recent data said. They can Google all of that. They can't Google who you are. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah. I remember when I first started my company, Bar Candy, um, it's a product-based company. And I was in this unique position where a friend of mine had hooked me up with a bunch of these really high-powered investors here in New York. Went to this amazing cigar lounge. There's like these 10 men. I was the only woman. And I was pitching my company. And I had no idea what to do. I made the worst mistake you can ever make, which is I didn't say anything. I just passed out like my business plan and everything. And I just thought I could just sit there and smile and they they'll could, read it it's all in there it's all in there why they'll do I read have it to say anything? Yeah. it's all in there and late I didn't get an investment and my friend sort of said well the next time you pitch because you really didn't pitch you need to get up and just talk and just say like look I started this company because of a b and c it's really important to me and this is how I got there da, 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 da. and that was a huge lesson for me going forward Liz tells a great story because, you know, I think a lot of women, right, find themselves in situations like this where we are, uh, we don't know what to say, whatever the circumstances may be. And we, uh, you know, there's a lot of fear that I think comes along with speaking, right? So um, even me, somebody like me, who I feel like I'm an accomplished talker, I can talk all damn day. I think if you put me in a situation where I have to make a pitch or be, it becomes hard. It's sort of like, what do I say? I mean, I've been talking about doing webinars for years and it's still sort of like, well, what do I say? What do I say? How do I get there? So Liz, I love that story because you're right. Um, I think women have trouble sometimes finding their voice. And it kind of brings us to what what we really want to talk with you about today, Elaine, which is how to say something smart, right? Um, even when you feel like you don't have anything to say. So so, so that's the broad, big paintbrush. So, so how do we do that? Where do we start? And I know we've got a bunch of little tips we want to go through, but it's sort of like, how do we do that? Well, I mean, the first thing to realize is that you need to be yourself. So Chances are you are already smart. And you know, if you're not well, bossy, brilliant, and badass at least. Right? You're bossy, brilliant, and badass. So so own that. Right. And and recognize that you don't have to be someone else to to give a speech or to talk to somebody or to pitch. You just have to be yourself. I mean, when you were when you were in that situation, Liz, you 
all you needed to do was show, share the enthusiasm for your product. Why, why is this important to you? Why is it, why is it so important to you that you, you know, put, put the rest of your life on hold to found this company and bring this product to people because you think it's going to help them in some way. And when people, if people had heard that story, right, they, they might, they might or might not automatically see the the millions that can be made by investing in your company just based on what the product is. But once they see that you've got enthusiasm and and energy behind it, and that you can who can present well and sell yourself and and that people want to listen to, people want to listen to, that's that's where the sale gets made. You could be selling, you know, ice in Alaska where nobody really needs ice, right? No, they still do because you're not going to go get snow off the ground. So, right. So, uh, but, but you can be selling something that, you know, nobody needs, but if you are charming enough and, and, and convincing enough, you're going to sell it. So, so That's why we have the saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because new entrepreneurs, I mean, when I was brand new and I was like, oh, I don't have a, I don't have uh, education in business. I don't have an MBA. These are all, I don't, whatever's on paper is going to sound a lot better than whatever I can say. And of course, along the way, I learned differently, right? And once I had my final auditions with Shark Tank and whatnot, I learned like bring in the personal story. But I think a lot of us do make that mistake at the very beginning. And even just a short snippet of a personal story, like you said, it hooks people. It hooks people. And, you know, if you're the only woman in a room with a bunch of men at that point, you've got, I mean, you could look at it two ways. You could look at it as it's a problem for you. It's a challenge to be the only female voice in a room full of men, or it's an opportunity because you are automatically different than everybody else they've already, you know, they just spent an hour listening to dudes drone on about, you know, ROI and whatever. And then you come in and say, hey, this product is going to change people's lives because. And yes, there's an ROI to it. And yes, but, but you know, just by being who you are, you are, you are automatically standing out from the crowd. So own who you are, you bossy, badass, brilliant listeners. Um, I I almost said another B word, but (laughs) we enjoy the B words around here. Yeah, we do. (laughs) Whatever they may be. (laughs) Um, And, and recognize that who you are is a, is an opportunity because nobody else is who you are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. Um, and so, so when we when we start crafting, when we start crafting, let, let's let's suppose we're going to put together a signature talk, right? Uh-huh. When we start crafting that, and we're starting to look to decide what we should talk about or how we should put together some sort of a signature talk. I think a lot of us are going to try to lean into the thing we know and we feel is important and. Um, I want to say this carefully, but we get a lot of, of times, you know, people want to come on the show and a lot of times it gets a little frustrating for, for us, um, when we do our pre-chats because people will come on and just kind of state the problem and that's, that's it. And 
a lot of times then I'm like, uh, yeah, I, I, and also <laughs> because, right, to try to figure out how we put that together. So I sort of recognize that problem being, you know, sitting in a podcast producer's chair, um, that it is something that we deal with. So, so, so we're authentic. We come in. How do I put together a topic? How do I put together a thing to talk about all the time? Right. So. I, uh, you know, at the risk of seeming repetitive, start with who you are, start with why you have a passion around this thing that you want to talk about, start with, and then also, so write a bunch about that, write it as if you are talking to your best friend, Mm. or Mm. talking to a really interested venture capital person right? Somebody who's really invested in, in hearing you and, and who will not be critical of your, of your enthusiasm and your story. Mm-hmm. And, and also, I should start with this, recognize that what you're writing right now is not the final draft. It's maybe not even a first draft. It's a, a first draft of a chunk. And so don't expect especially with something as important as a signature talk that you're going to be like you were in high school history class where you just write the essay the night before it's due or the morning that it's due and hand it in. And, you know, because it doesn't matter if Mrs. Susie gives you a, a 70, but it does matter in your grown up life. If the people you want to hear your signature talk are excited and, and engaged by it. Right, right. Able to take action. So, so you write your piece about why why this thing excites you, and write about also what outcome you expect the world. You know, are you trying to change the world? Well, that's great, but how are you trying to change the world? I'm trying to change the world through messaging and through helping people to to create messages that create change, and. Um, so, so just saying, I want to change the world. Well, that's funny. Let's all laugh. All of us. All of us, right? You know, but how you're like, oh yeah, me too. Right? How can one person change the world? Well, right. if you have a, a story and you know how to tell it, um, write about the change that you want to make, write about if you've got a product, write about your product. You know, it's really interesting to write about your failures. And a lot of people shy away from that word. It's the F word of business. Uh, But failure is a really important way of relating to the audience because who who among us has not failed at something? Not me. What are you talking about? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Except for Lisa and probably Liz, who has not, you know, um, so, so. And if you are honest about your failures, people will listen to you talk about your successes until the cows come home. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. You know, I uh, so so I am at a, a friend's place today, and it was like like a like a sleepover type thing. And I, for the first time, there's a story in my life. I'm not going to share it on the podcast because it's not relevant at the moment. But there's a story that I recognized that I never ever told for a good. 10, 15 years, right? Something that happened to me when I was 21. And following that, I 
tell the story all the time. It's a failure. It's an arrest. Let's say that. And <laughs> I tell the story and I laugh. I realized I was telling it last time, last night for the first time. And I laugh my way through the entire story because it's freaking hilarious, <laughs> but it took 15 years for me to find it funny. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because those first couple of years that was not funny at all, (laughs) but it was amazing at, you know, just thinking, I mean, these are my friends, but I kept their attention. I made them laugh. You know what I mean? And I would say to you that that was a huge failing because from my perspective, being arrested, even though it was a traffic thing, but being arrested is humiliating, right? Right. (laughs) It's humiliating, but a great story <laughs> to use in the right circumstance, of course. And, you know, there are going to be people in your audience who've been arrested or or had an encounter with the police that was humiliating for them in some way or had some other humiliating thing happen. And the fact that you rise above it, right? Or in a business sense, you know, let me tell you about that time I I lost $7 million. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> no, that's not true. Never lost $7 million yet. Um, you know, let me tell you about the time I forgot to put the decimal point in when I was paying my electric bill online and they took out $10,000 instead of a hundred, you know, that's not true either, but it did happen to somebody. I saw it on the news. Um, but that's the kind of thing that people can relate to. And then they, they, you know, unless they're really stuck up and prudish, they will, they will relate to you better as a person nobody's going to hold it against you that you ran a red light you know mm-hmm. um, right 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 oh my god there were so many times i i ran a red light i was distracted and thank god there wasn't a cop around you know right right um right and, but then they'll be like oh yeah she's a real person she's not mm-hmm. presenting this facade of perfectness and then mm-hmm. you won't talk about the success of your business or the success of your podcast or whatever it is you're talking about. And people will, will listen to you more. You get some. Well, yeah, because then it feels real. It feels like, well, they seems kind of so perfect and they, they've become, they have this level of success. They made mistakes too. So uh, I guess I'm not so bad. Maybe I can do that too. Yeah. Very, yeah. Uh, you resonate with that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it sounds like a great way to create connection as well. So, like that's kind of what you're saying that you create create connection um, to yourself through discussing failure, which is something that we all can can you know resonate with. Right. Now, let me say one thing though, uh, because you do not want to be self deprecating. You know, when you're especially if you're going to talk about a failure. You want to keep all your authority as a, you know, a a business, bossy, brilliant, badass, and, um, and still tell the story of the time when you were 21, when this happened. Um, There's a, there was an article in Harvard Business Review that came across my, my feed a couple weeks ago, and it's a couple years old, but it was an article about how having a sense of humor, using a sense of humor in business presentations is seen as giving men more authority, but giving women less authority. Yes. Really? 
Yes. yes. Oh my yes. God. Well, people don't I think don't women know. are funny. So people don't I, yeah, think I women don't are funny. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't agree with it. I think it's let me, let me yes. tell the story because I Sorry. don't it either. So I'm like, all right, click on this, man. And and what it was was they they did this, you know, scientific kind of study where they hired a bunch of uh, or they hired a male actor and a female actor. They gave them both the same presentation script to give in front of, you know, the, the test subjects, whatever. And so they, they had the same, there was the presentation with and without jokes. They did both, both the male and the female did both presentations and everybody loved the male's jokes and everybody thought that the woman was unprofessional and unprepared and whatever. So I'm like, well, what kind of jokes did they give them? Mm. And the only joke that they discussed in the article was something like this. Well, I told my wife or my husband that I was giving this presentation today and they said, you know, don't try to be clever or intelligent, just be yourself. Which is a really cheesy, stupid joke to begin with. Mm -hmm. But a woman saying, I'm not clever, I'm not intelligent. Yep. Don't do that. Do not do that. I had a client once who sent me some video of a, a, an executive I hadn't met yet. And he was in a town hall situation and he was being really self-deprecating. And he was a man. And I, I came away from the video and my client said, what did you think of him? I said, well, you know, it's really confusing because I know you people only hire really smart people, but he did not seem that smart. Mm, right. And and it was because he was being self-deprecating. So don't put yourself in that position. Be real about who you are. And like don't tilt over to the side of bragging too much about your badassness. But show your your so don't start off and say, Hi, I'm glad to be here. Boy, this failure I had was terrible, right? Right. Show who you are first. And then, I mean, it's like, you know, going to a cocktail party, you wouldn't, you wouldn't stick out your hand and say, Hey, Liz, it's nice to meet you. You know, I am such a failure. Right. Like you're not going to go into a cocktail party and say, Hey, you know, I'm Liz, man, what a loser I am. I just pulled up and, you know, I banged into a stop sign and gosh, I'm an idiot. Right. So how are you? Yeah, yeah I'm going to be like, I'm I'm like, so, so um, just give me a second. I'll be, um, I need to get a drink. I need to refresh my drink. You're on your own lady. I think it's very different though. If you're say calling yourself names, so to speak, or if you're actually telling a story, that's fact right. that might be, you know, and yeah. this happened to me and boy, did I ever learn. And that's, a, that's a funny story that you can tell, but of course, I think you have to be aware too, is if, do you have a pretty good sense of humor to start? Cause if you don't, you might not want to try and be funny on stage might right. not work. Well, I think that goes back to the authentic be you point, right? Like right. The, who you are, because if you aren't a funny person, then people can recognize, or you aren't our X, Y, and Z. I think people can recognize inauthenticity really quickly. And the immediate feeling is, oh, this person's full of shit, right? Or it becomes a turnoff. So, so I think, yeah, yeah, that's the point you're making there, Liz. Yeah. I agree with that hundred percent. 
your your speech, your signature talk is not the opening monologue on Saturday Night Live, and nobody wants it to be. Nobody expects it to be. Right. But but if you tell a story that has some humor in it, making the audience laugh or even smile is a great way of connecting one on one. One of my favorite TED Talks is, and I really ought to go look up the title, it's, it's the first TED Talk that Brian Stevenson gave. And, you know, Brian Stevenson uh, is a, has been an advocate for people incarcerated on, on, on death row, and that is a very heavy business to talk about. And his TED Talk, he opens with a story about his growing up and, and his grandmother. And... It's like, what, what does his grandmother necessarily have directly to do with the work that he does, except it shows you who he is and where he came from. Yeah. And, you know, you might not have the exact same circumstances as he did, but you've, you've had similar experiences. And so you can relate to it. And you're like, I like this guy. Mm-hmm. And, and then he can move you into talking about, you know, the people that he works with and the issues that he works with. But, but first, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you went up on stage and said, you know, did I tell you about my last conversation with this guy who was going to be killed in 20 minutes? That's a hard thing to open your heart to and say, yes, I want to sit here and listen to you for the next 10 minutes telling you hearing but you know if he says so my grandmother raised me and this and that the other thing like i like this guy i want to hear what he has to say right right yes that's wonderful Uh so uh so elaine um we we talked about being yourself we talked about maybe talking about a failure but not being (laughs) self-deprecating right using humor a little bit anything else um in terms of putting together this signature talk this idea of how we come up with something right um well so so i just want to clarify that the being yourself part is also finding what's unique in your story right maybe i've already said this but but um because there are lots of people who start businesses. There are lots of people who are in business. There are lots of people who do the same thing that you do, but nobody does it for the reasons that you do. And so if you always start with yourself, you will always find something unique to say. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I like to do, and I, I tell people who work with me to do this is, is, go on what I call story safari. And that is where you you go through your day, just doing what you do. Keep a note card and a pen or, you know, your notes app on your phone handy. And if you see something unusual, just write it down. You know, two birds fighting over some seeds on the street, write that down. You know, a baby cow, I'm staying on a farm right now. (laughs) Baby calf was born last week, write that down. And then, you know, just go through at the end of the week and see what you've, what you've got written down and you got, um, so I'm just making this up off the top of my head. You got two birds fighting over a pile of seeds. Well, you know, there's a lot of places in business where we can go into competition with each other. Yep. 
and think that it's a zero-sum game. But is it really a zero-sum game? Is there a way that we can cooperate with each other and work together to, to get to the thing? Now, lots of people can talk about cooperation, but if they haven't seen two birds fighting over a pile of seeds, they're not going to be going at it from that way. And the thing about stories even if they're not about yourself, you know, and that's where a lot of people get gummed up. They're like, I don't want to talk about myself. A story doesn't always have to be about yourself. It can be about how you move in the world, what you see in the world. And, and what I see in the world is different from what you see, what, what Liz sees. And, and that's, that's a great way to create a foundation that nobody else can, can have, even if yeah. they're talking about the same subject. Absolutely. So there's a lot you can pull from to have a, your, your own unique perspective. You just have to train yourself to think like a writer. And it's not uh, something that's going to happen immediately. You know, don't start doing this two days before your signature talk is done. Done. Do you uh, Also, don't start working on your speech two days before your signature talk is done. Because <laughs> um, you want to give yourself at least two weeks to get the material inside you and um, and so so that it really becomes part of you and you don't have to worry about I don't have notes or you know what should I put on my notes you don't have to read every word uh, so you want to really incorporate it into your being right right and so do you recommend then that we hire a speech writer or a writer <laughs> yeah of course she does Liz come on. <laughs> Do you recommend that people go out to Home Depot and buy the ingredients to make whatever it is that you make? Of course you don't. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, no, you know, I also teach people. I also, I also have a program where I, where I help people figure out how to write, for instance, a TED Talk, TEDx Talk, because um, lots of people want to do that. And, you know, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a talk, you're investing your time in giving this speech. If it's a signature kind of talk, it's a talk you're going to be giving a lot. Mm-hmm. It's super important for you to make a good impression on your audience because you don't get a, the cliche. You don't get a second chance to make a first impression and is really true. You know, I, I think of people who I heard who, who really bombed and I'm like, well, I don't want to go hear her again. She's terrible. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, She may have improved in the couple of years since I saw her, but my first impression sticks. Uh, So so if it's important enough to your career, if it's important enough to your business, then definitely invest in finding a professional to help you. It also is, you know, an ROI for your own for your own business. You know, is it better for you to take your hours to move your business forward or is it better for you to take, you know, five hours to struggle over the first page of your signature talk? Right. Um, right. But yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I would say. Uh, yeah. And so then, so, all right. So we have our signature talk, we memorize it. Right. And is there room for improv in between or what do you recommend around that? So, my honest recommendation is don't don't improv because that's where speeches go off track. And 
And you can't always know in the moment whether the tangent you're going on is going to reinforce your narrative or undercut your narrative or bore the audience, right? Mm -hmm. So craft your speech really carefully so that every single word and every sentence and every idea adds value and moves your story forward, moves the narrative forward and gets the audience to a place where they're like, oh my God, I can't wait for this dinner to be over so I can go take action. That's where you want to get people to. And if you side rail, you derail yourself by going off on tangents, you really risk uh, muddying your big finish. So um, I would say have the discipline to work on your, you know, people are giving up their own time to sit and and listen to you give a speech. So take it, be, be respectful of that. And take the time to prepare yourself as scary as it is to say, okay, I'm going to work on my speech now. Oh my God, you, I have to work on my speech now. I mean, I'm going to give a speech. I don't want to think about giving a speech. That speech scares me. I don't want to, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I will tell you, I am, I am a shining example of what not to do right at this very minute, because I have a draft of something that I have written for myself that I have to deliver on Friday and ask me if I've started memorizing it yet. No, I have not, <laughs> but that's what I'm going to do the rest of today. And then I've got five days to get it down. So I'll be good. Mm, yeah. Awesome. I remember I was, I had a peach, a, a peach, <laughs> a speech prepared for this, um, this pitch. It was in front of an audience. It was a contest. And I just made sure that I memorized that damn thing top to bottom on the subway. I would, people would be looking at me like, I was right. I'm like, so then when I first came up with the road, and I was just every day, every minute of the day. And I'm telling you, when I got on that stage, I was so comfortable because I just knew it like the back of my hand. So my nerves didn't get in the way. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you a couple good memorizing tips. Um, mostly from my, well, when I memorize, I, sometimes I, I will do accents. So I'll, I'll say the speech in a French accent or a German accent or whatever. Also, um, move around, swing your arms, bounce up and down, um, mm. rehearse your speech while you're washing the dishes. Um, my business partner, Marie Contreras, says that she rehearses while watching, t- while watching TV because if she can keep from being distracted by the TV, that means she knows her speech really well. Mm. Right. Uh, but, mm. but the moving thing and the doing other things thing will keep you from being like a statue on stage because right. you're used to moving. While wow, you're saying the talking. interesting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we learned that in acting classes too. Always because it gets it in your body. Yep. So by the time you get there, it's like all inside. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Interesting. Fascinating. Wow. So Elaine, that's fantastic. So let me ask you, um, as we're getting to the end here, any big takeaways you would like for our audience on this topic? Be yourself. Um, it may seem scary at the beginning, but it'll get easier. And, and actually in the 99% of your life, when you are not on stage, you are already being yourself. So, you know, just, just move it into that new arena. 
uh, and, you know, speak. People need to hear what you're doing. People need to hear your thoughts. There is a whole big world out there that needs a lot of a lot of help. And so whatever issues you're passionate about, whatever, whatever problems your product or your business solves, people need to hear about it. So let them. Awesome. Wonderful. And be a badass. Yeah. I love, love, love that. Thank you so much. So where can people find you, Elaine? My website is Bennett Inc. B-E-N-N-E-T-T-I-N-K.com. I am on Twitter at Biz Speechwriter, B-I-Z Speechwriter. And those are the two best places to find me. There's a contact form on my website, and you can also find any, any classes that I'm offering at the time. Oh, great to know. Great to know. Love those classes. So thank you so much for being our badass of the week, Elaine. Excellent. I'm going to take my badassness out onto the farm and (laughs) give my speech to the cows. Awesome. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. All right, everybody. See you next. I hope the cows will be moved. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they will. All See, right, that's bye, a good joke. <laughs> bye. bye. I love it. See you next time. That's it for us this week. Remember, you can find anything we referenced in the episode in our show notes on our website, bossybrilliantbadass.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. It helps us get found. And thank you for listening. There'll be more Bossy Brilliant Badass next week. So until then, be, be a, a badass. badass.